Hello, and welcome back to our next episode of Private Markets Made Human, the podcast from Hamilton Lane that brings information and perspective from our greatest asset, our people. I'm your host, Fabio Montaigne. Our guest today is a long-standing member of Hamilton Lane and undoubtedly a very familiar voice to our listeners on the podcast. Having joined the firm in 2007, she has not shied away from keeping herself busy, currently serving several demanding roles, including managing director on our fund investment team, member of our responsible investment committee, co-chair of our diversity, equity, and inclusion council, and co-host of this very podcast. She is joining us today to provide real-time insights into the current private markets fundraising environment with a specific focus on new and emerging managers, a strategy which she leads under our fund investment team. Please welcome Katie Moore. Katie, pleasure to have you join us from the other side this time. Yes, it's great to be here on the other side of the mic. Um, As mentioned, this episode will be focused on new and emerging managers in private markets. But before we dive into, into what all that means, I'd like to start by giving the listeners an overview of the wider private markets fundraising environment. I understand private markets fundraising has reached approximately a trillion dollars, give or take, in each of the last couple of years. I was hoping you could provide a breakdown of the global fundraising landscape across strategies and and fund sizes. Absolutely. So let me start big picture. As you mentioned, that big trillion dollar word. Um, Today, we are a growing asset class that is still small relative to the public markets, but has continued to move up and to the right, especially across all strategies. You know, I would say over the last few years, the strength in fundraising has come a lot from the primary fund commitments, but also has been really strong on the secondary and the transaction side, which is actually where we've seen the most demonstrated growth. All that being said, it continues to be the toughest fundraising market environment we've seen over the last few years. So when you think about the size of our asset class and the record dollars raised over the past uh, few years, it's sort of the perfect storm, right? You've got a lot of money that's that's come into the asset class. You've got a lot of LPs who are over-allocated. Um, we'll talk about this today, but sort of the number of new opportunities entering the market for, for folks to choose from has never been bigger. So it's the perfect storm. Um, And really, that's across all strategies and fund sizes, you know, regardless of emerging manager or large established. So to give you some perspective, the first half of this year, 2023, we saw about 600 new opportunities come through our door here. And that's actually down 15% from where we were two years ago. So it's definitely more in line with the 2019 environment. Um, And the key key theme in fundraising today is really around um, extensions and restated target sizes. Um, I think that we're starting to see that elongated fundraising cycle stretch out to to places we frankly hadn't seen it this long before. So it's exciting because the asset class is growing, but the number of opportunities relative to that growth has also increased. And so I think with that comes opportunities and challenges. That's interesting. So obviously the number of opportunities is is more sort of in line with 2019 levels below uh, the record year in 2021. How does that look like in a dollar amount perspective? Um, I, I believe we we reached near nearly 1.5 trillion in 21. Uh, do do we know how that looked like in 22 and and maybe year to date 23? I don't know what it is year to date 2023. I can tell you relative to 2021 that figure was down in 2022. Um, 
you know, with North America, we saw the opportunity set sort of grow modestly. Um, but fundraising ex-U.S. was sort of flat to slightly down in 2022. So when you think about the record levels that we came off of in 2021, hard to keep pace with that. But on a relative basis, it's higher than it's ever been. So we still see a lot of capital coming into the asset class. Um, in, in terms of today, the uh, uh, you know the number of opportunities we're seeing, for example, in the emerging manager space, has increased 5% over the last year. So the number of new funds coming online has been particularly interesting for us to watch as a new trend. And just uh, staying on that trend topic, uh, you mentioned, you know, time between sort of first and final close extending, you know, general extensions and time in the market. Um, Could you give us a sense as to what like an average time in the market is for for a given fund these days? Uh, And does that really differ massively across the strategy? And Maybe an, an idea and a sense around what the actual fundraising is relative to GP's targets. Yeah, that's a great question. The average time to raise a fund and hit your target has changed materially. Uh, as I mentioned, it's it's really been extended. You know, eighteen months, two years is really the norm these days. There are certainly some success stories out there, but again, they aren't the norm, and it's hard to come by. Um, for example, I'll give you another data point. This is a record year for us in terms of executing on addendums, which is when we update our report, we rerun the numbers, and we deliver sort of a more recent document to our to our clients. So that hit a new high for us this year in 2023, and don't see that slowing down. Um, I think relative to you know fundraising targets versus where GPs ultimately get, that has also come down. Um, I think. The GPs in our world today are going to have to get used to a new normal, whereas before you would go out, you would fundraise, you would exceed your target um, in a a sort of more truncated time period. That's not the norm today. And I think whether you're thinking about established GPs, GPs who have many different fund lines or new GPs entering the market, it's just going to be a tougher road than it has been ever before. Thanks. That's probably a really good segue into uh, my next question. Let's focus on emerging managers for a minute. Maybe we could start by defining, well, how does Hamilton Lane define emerging managers? Yes. So I should caveat that, as with most things in our asset class, there is no one way to define it, of course. For Hamilton Lane, we think about emerging manager as a first, second, or third institutional fund. So we don't cap it by fund size or AUM. And I should also mention that a lot of emerging managers are diverse-led, and we can get into that definition later, but it's important to note that we keep those definitions separate. Okay, interesting. And and in terms of our history in the emerging manager space, could you give an overview as to when that started and how should we think about emerging managers um, and how that fits within our portfolio construction approach? Sure. It's really an awesome story. And to answer it, you have to go back three decades, really to the start of our firm. It's, you know, the founding, I'm serious. The first mandates we ever had when we first got into business, two of them were uh, with some of the largest pension funds in the country. And they hired us to find them new emerging managers, if you can believe it. So today, you know, I I think that's important because what that means is that finding emerging, emerging managers is really in our DNA. We definitely are not a niche player in this space, nor do we want to be. You know, we're big, we're global, we're pretty easy to find. But no one is really paying us today to find the Vistas or the Clear Lakes, right? They're paying us to find 
the next one of those successful firms and build portfolios around those new relationships. So I think what's really great about our portfolio construction approach is that we bring this belief that emerging managers should be part of a portfolio, a a core portfolio in many cases, and should not be so separate and so far away from what you're doing in your main program that they don't sort of flow and, um, and, and, and you don't think about them together. When you think about sort of the depth of our footprint, Hamilton Lane today, we're about $850 billion in AUM, AUA. Our emerging manager platform is about $66 billion of that. So it's about 8% of our total asset base. So again, a big part of what we do, a big part of what our clients do, and this is factored, these, these funds are factored into most, if not all, of our um, client portfolios. Uh, 8% is a pretty, pretty um, sizable number. Do you have a sense of that's evolved over the last few years? Is that something you're able to, to track? Absolutely. I mean, I think that the pools of capital dedicated to emerging managing invest- investing has certainly moved up uh, the last few years. If you break down the LP universe, I would say most of the groups that have dedicated pools of capital had traditionally been sort of the largest pension plans, and mostly in the U.S. So these are sort of big public programs. They've had lots of government and senior leadership support. Over the last five years, we've really seen that shift. And now most, if not all LPs, regardless of type, are thinking about emerging manager investing. So we kind of put them into three buckets, right? There's sort of those who want to do it, but can't and, ha- and struggle with it, and we help them. Um, there, there are those who do it in a separate program today. And then uh, there, there are those who just sort of incorporate it as part of their regular portfolio construction. So absolutely, those pools of capital have moved up. Um, we're really excited about the momentum. Um, it's a big part of why we now have a dedicated business line in this space today, because we're constantly talking to LPs about who the next group of emerging managers will be and our long-term strategic partners. So, you know, for us, we've added a few billion dollars just dedicated to the space in the last few years that we're managing right now, in addition to the clients who are putting, you know, advisory dollars to work, some of our own discretionary dollars to work in this space. So we've seen really nice momentum here. And thinking about an emerging manager or just, you know, the landscape of emerging managers, how should we think of it in terms of strategy, size of funds, is there a particular trend that we're seeing? Are emerging managers tend to raise, you know, one billion, sub one billion dollar funds, or is is it more broad than that? You know, it's probably not surprising that emerging managers have smaller funds, typically, like you said, less than a billion dollars, um, and they typically receive less dollars than their than their established cohorts for sure. I think what we bring to the table is this notion that while every fund might start a little smaller, we think that someday they want to be CVC or Toma Bravo or pick your big firm. And so how do we get them there over time? You know, it doesn't happen overnight. And honestly, most of the firms will never get there. I think when you break apart the strategies a little bit, the biggest sort of influx of new dollars that have come into the emerging manager space over the last decade has really been both in the buyout and the venture capital space. And so for the buyout funds, you know, I think generally we see groups that raise a few hundred million dollars up to a billion in their first or second fund. And then they scale from there if they can, if the strategy warrants it. Within venture, that's a little bit different. It's pretty easy to start a venture capital shop these days, relatively speaking. It just doesn't have the same uh, capital outflow in the beginning. So that's, you know, that's been a big growth engine in our industry is the number of new emerging managers in the venture space. And they tend to be 
you know, everything from really small shops, 5 million, 10 million, up to, you know, those billion dollar funds. I would say the sweet spot for us, because we have to think about portfolio construction, is really that 50 to 100 million plus, And those funds have to register with the SEC. So, again, I think thinking about size and scale, we're looking for groups that are somewhere in that $100 million to billion-dollar range. What we're really excited about, though, I will tell you right now, is is really the non-traditional geographies and strategies. Um, So things like, you know, rest of world. Our team is spending a lot of time in Korea, in India, um, Australia recently. We just approved a fund. And also in, in spaces like credit. Right. If you think about this, this is the perfect storm, perfect environment for new credit managers. Traditionally speaking, size has been your friend in the credit space. I don't think that's changed. But what has changed is the the environment is now looking for groups who can fill that void. And so as expertise has grown within these credit shops, you're starting to see more credit managers start to raise significant pools of capital. So there's no sort of one, this strategy raises this much. Uh, But I think that what the trend really has been around um, is just, again, the number of new funds and new firms forming has continued on that trajectory of, you know, 35 to 40 percent of our deal flow every year. Interesting. And just on that last credit point, obviously credit dry powder in the credit space, while it's growing, it still lags quite considerably the the buyout and growth space. So you'd expect a, a pickup there. Absolutely. It's going to be a huge opportunity set for us. And We could talk about this later, but I think the challenge we're finding in the credit space is that it hasn't traditionally been an asset class that has been diverse, in my opinion. And so what you're seeing is a lot of these credit shops have built up junior teams that are gaining expertise, um, that are more diverse-led, that have ambition. And those are the groups that are spinning out and looking to kind of get new capital from a lot of these emerging manager pools. So that's an exciting evolution for me. I think that we'll continue to see more of that over the next, you know, cycle, if you will. Uh, but that's certainly been a, an exciting trend here in credit space. I'll definitely pick up on that diversity point um, in, in a little bit. One question I wanted to ask was around, we touched on it for wider private markets fundraising. The environment, as you said, was, you know, broadly in line with what we were seeing in 2019, but down on record levels in 21. How does that look like for emerging managers? Are they struggling a little bit more given, you know, the earliest stage of their of their growth journey? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's it's brutal out there. You have to have some thick skin. And I think we're here to say we understand um and and we don't judge you on how long it takes to raise your first, second, third fund, right? No one is sitting behind there going, oh, wow, this took them 18 months or two years. So we know it's tough. It's tough for everyone. And so I'm I'm worried the sentiment is going to keep some really good investors from starting their own shop, particularly women. But I think where we sit today, um, this is a tough market for emerging managers. Um, and while that is certainly... Uh, gives you some pause. It, like I said, it hasn't stopped the momentum of new shops. I think it's just again elongating that that time to get to a final close. And just adding on to that, what do you view as sort of the business case for emerging managers? You know, in in today's world, over allocated to private markets, which may lead you know LPs to target you know larger, more established firms. Is that yeah? Mm-hmm. Just curious to hear your your thoughts on on the business case. Well, Fabio, this is the business part that I lead. So I'm actually very excited about the business case, as you can probably imagine. I mean, you know, as the industry has gotten more complex, 
many of the emerging managers have really been able to carve out niche areas, you know, that they're, they're really good in, right? Industrials, healthcare, technology. These are groups who really specialize and have different sourcing networks who can take sort of the best of what they've excelled at in, in their prior life and align themselves at, at a new organization or start a new organization where they can redesign the playbook. So I think that's first and foremost is, is we're really excited about just sort of the number of, of new um, complementary areas to what it is that, that we do here within our core portfolios. If you look a little below the, la- the, the top layer there, there's really a case about diversification. So in terms of, you know, across buyout and growth equity, the deal sizes and the number of deals per fund is significantly smaller for emerging managers. So that gives you a chance to, um, you know, really, these groups only get a portfolio to do seven, eight deals in some cases. And so they have to pick really well. They have to pick winners. Um, And we think that that incentivizes them. The deal sizes are also two times less on average than established managers. So again, much more of the lower middle market is where we're getting access here, which is really great for portfolios, um, especially those that are looking for, you know, to concentrate in certain sectors um, or with groups who have sort of their area of expertise. And then the the last one I would say, sorry, is, is just the business case is it gives you early access to build these long-term partnerships, right? So when I think about what we, Hamilton Lane, are looking for an emerging manager, Yes, it's great returns, but we're looking for those long-term partners, right? The groups that we can grow with beyond Fund 3. And I think relationship building is such a key component of that. I could give you many examples, but there's there's several funds where, you know, we come in and Fund 1, Fund 2, Hamilton Lane, and our clients represent a meaningful amount of capital. And then that relationship builds across co-invest, across secondary. Um, and then we hand some of those relationships off to our clients. So I think that's the natural order for us that feels right is to build up that farm team and make sure that these are groups that want, we want to be in business with for a long, long time. That's interesting. And I just wanted to touch on performance for a second. I'm just very curious as to how, you know, emerging managers perform relative to more established GPs. Is there a trend? I mean, you noted that they are very selective. There are fewer assets. There's probably more focus if it's their first or second fund. Curious as to how that pans out. Do we see some real winners and maybe some in the loser camp? Yeah. So I'm going to start with a really controversial statement here. Emerging manager does not equal alpha generator. LPs are smart. If emerging managers outperformed established in every case, that's where we would all go, right? It's where we would all go. So we know that's certainly not the case. When you look at the data, what I'm telling you is that the dispersion of returns for emerging managers is much wider than its established peers. So from the top to the bottom, it's about 2,000 basis points, which is much wider in many cases. That being said, you know, top quartile emerging managers do provide exceptional returns. We have that data. Come see me. I'll give it to you. I think, you know, top quartile over the last few years has been, what, 28, 29% in the buyout world. That's really tough to achieve. Um, and we are seeing some of our emerging managers, you know, hit that bar and beyond. What's really, you know, if I put my my hat on on the, the case around returns, portfolio construction with emerging managers matters so much. You cannot build an index here. You cannot give capital to every new group, even though you want to. You have to be very selective around portfolio construction. And then when you do that, you know, if you look at our tracker record in particular, it's phenomenal. 
I mean, we are outperforming by 800,000 basis points in some cases, depending on what year and time frame you cut it. So I think just having that portfolio construction approach mindset is really what's going to set you apart when you're committing to emerging managers. I'm glad you touched on sort of our, our track record. I'd, I'd be interested to hear what our diligence process is and how that defers when evaluating new managers. Sure. So you know, there's certainly some unique aspects when you're evaluating emerging managers. There's a lot more legwork on, you know, track record and references and things like that. That being said, our investment process is pretty universal here at the firm and has been for many, many years. Fabio, you know this. I mean, we see about 1,400 funds, 12 to 1,400 funds a year. And as I said, about 35 to 40 percent of them are emerging manager, which is great. Um Thankfully, we have a big team that helps us with that, right? So even though there's a few of us that spend um, more time and specialize here, we're certainly leveraging the the 200 and plus uh, Hamilton Lane investment professionals around the globe to help us evaluate that. You know, some of the key things we look at, um, and this is everywhere from the first meeting through to the final diligence and beyond, um, you know, we're, we're validating track records that in a lot of cases come to us in you know, letters and screenshots and, you know, it's, it's a hodgepodge of, of how we look at track records. So I'm grateful that we have the team and the data to be able to kind of sort through that. And it certainly takes us some time. And we look at everything from, um, you know, the purchase prices when they entered, you know, at that time period, obviously where the deals are maybe marked at at their current shops today. So there's a lot of work in, in track record attribution. I mentioned references. I can't tell you enough how important the Hamilton Lane reconnaissance is to evaluating a manager. Unfortunately, in most cases, it can it can shut down a deal. But for us, we are calling you know any prior partner, any prior investor, uh, anyone who could take our call in terms of you know evaluating and, and referencing. And to any emerging manager listening to this, I mean, the value uh, of your uh, of your reference uh, ecosystem is is really important to make sure you understand that completely. And then the last is really around, you know, platform stability um, and incentivization. I think a lot of these shops don't have institutional processes, and so we want to help them with that, but we also have to make sure that our clients are protected. So, you know, I would say those are sort of the the main areas that we dig in when we're evaluating DD on an emerging manager. Maybe pivoting now to Hamilton Lane's tools and technology. I, I, I joined the firm just several months ago, and I was quite impressed with with all the tech that we had and how efficient it was. Curious to know how we use uh, that information and that tech to source, track, and monitor emerging managers. Particularly, I think one one point which is at every, top of everyone's minds these days is ESG data. Uh, yeah, in particular, ESG data at portfolio company level. How how do we go about that? Too would be would be great to hear. Yeah, I think we sort of separated into two camps. So I would think about it first in terms of your first question around like sourcing and tracking. Uh, making sure we have that Hamilton Lane information advantage. And so we have, you know, our deal cloud tools, several other tools that we use to help us um, make sure that everything is sort of entered into the system. All communication is tracked. Um, it lets us to sort of quickly get under the hood, use that intel to make more informed decision. We have our back office tools as well that help us look at sort of deals and LP portfolios and things like that. So there's lots of technology and systems in place that help us think about sourcing and tracking these managers. As I mentioned, if you're looking at 400 new funds a year in the emerging manager space, you want to make sure you keep that door open, that you're seeing them all and that you're tracking all this information. Because while it might not be a yes today, it could be a yes in two funds or three funds from now. 
The second camp is really to your question around ESG measurement and tracking and reporting. When I think about this asset class, and our vice chairman says this all the time, Eric Hirsch, you know, a lot of our asset class still uses Excel to track information on ESG, DEI, and we believe um, you know our partnerships um, in in other technology solutions, Novata in particular, really help us to measure and track uh, key uh, metrics that will help us think about our underlying investments at a much more granular level. So while the industry today is still using spreadsheets to look at ESG metrics at the fund level, Nevada's really helping us to do it at the portfolio company level. And honestly, when I think about DEI and ESG and how we can make the most impact, I would say that um, you know understanding the data at the t- at the at the portfolio company level is really going to push us to to really change the face of business. So we're really excited to to be leveraging these tools, these technologies, um, and I think that is where the industry should go and will go over time. And Hamilton Lane is certainly at the forefront of that. That's obviously critical um, and becoming more critical as we as we evolve as an industry. I wanted to just ask a question now on diversity, which you, you mentioned earlier on in our conversation. How is that playing out uh, as a role in in overall decision making for us? Well, as I alluded to, a lot of emerging managers are diverse led today, which is a nice positive change. Not all, but 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 many. And when we think about diversity, we're thinking about diversity of thought, right? So we're thinking about folks who are around the table, who are in the decision making seat, who are bringing different networks and perspectives to the table. We look and define diversity with four distinct metrics um, when we're evaluating new fund opportunities. We look at management company ownership, we look at carry allocation, we look at the investment committee, and we look at the investment team. And we're really looking for 25% or greater diversity in two of those four metrics. And I'll tell you why we use the 25%, because sometimes people say, why not 33, why not 50? What I have found and what we have found as a firm is that firms that are on their way to 25% are on their way to 33% or on their way to 50%, right? They truly believe it in their core, in their DNA, um, in in the culture of the firm that they're building. And so for us, you know, we just want to make sure that this is, again, a dialogue, a partnership, that we have some basis to talk to them as as we evaluate them. And we want to measure and track that data annually. So we do that, um, you know, with our own GP outreach. Obviously, we do it at the time of uh, re-underwriting. And again, I mentioned Nevada. We can now do it in, in a much bigger way at the portfolio company level, which I'm really excited about. I will say that we certainly are looking for emerging managers that are led by diverse teams today or or have that intentionality to build diverse teams. But we also know that a lot of folks who don't have those traditional networks might not have the capital today to start their own firm. And so joining a firm that they truly believe in, that they want to be a part of, that they want to grow with is important to us. And so that's how we sort of think about diversity. um, And that's how it plays a role in in which uh, funds we choose to allocate to. Thank you, Katie. That's been extremely insightful. I learned a lot about the emerging manager space. I learned a lot about the fundraising environment and, and how best to evolve and adapt. I think maybe one question to wrap up uh, for our listeners, which would be um, very interesting for myself as well, is could you maybe provide some key themes uh, that have played a big part in a successful emerging manager fundraise? Absolutely. You know, as I mentioned, we've been working with clients now to really grow and scale the emerging and diverse-led space. Um, we've launched new strategies for clients who are who are looking for this type of exposure. We've committed about fourteen billion dollars 
just in the last two years into emerging and diverse-led managers. So I'll start there and say the footprint is big, and there are a lot of themes, a few themes, I think, that are really important for these groups that are trying to sort of uh, make sure that they're part of that, uh, of that capital base going forward. The first is sort of our golden rule, which is invest with people who are good listeners and good partners, right? It's kind of more EQ, but it's actually easier to pick up on than you think. We like to ask challenging questions. We like to push back on things. But ultimately, we're trying to be your partner and set you up for success. So that process takes us some time. But understand that that's sort of our our first and foremost uh, goal. Storytelling is really important. I always say to folks, like, test your messaging out before you kind of come see us. Uh, And I'm happy to help with that. But I think that just kind of knowing uh, your competitive angle and and where you sort of fit into the ecosystem that's different um, should be really apparent. I mentioned the the platform stability um, and and you know making sure your incentivizations are intact, uh, making sure that a lot of that alignment is is really front and foremost as we're as we're talking through um, potential investment. And the last one is co-invest. We all love a good co-invest. So my view is just send us your first deal or two. Let us look at it. Let us compare it to the other deals we're seeing. We'll give you some great feedback, and that will really help us to get to know you and and understand the type of deal and the type of firm that you want to build. So those are my hot ideas. <laughs> we certainly love Co-Invest. Well, thanks so much, Katie. Um, and thank everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening in to another episode of Private Markets Made Human. Please stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks. Thanks.